can I get rid of the subjective criteria and focus more on the objective criteria? And the objective criteria for me was math, was was the probabilities, were the things that I could say, this has definitely happened on Earth, it's documented, and the probabilities against that happening by random chance are really, 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 really low. Mm-hmm. And so the, now if I take all of those things together, it becomes um, almost the, the, the math is, is so profound that it's it's you 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 have to you either denying it out of a bias because you really want to believe in your bias or you're denying it out of because you're afraid and, and you don't really want to deal with that truth. So that was where I started. And from that perspective, I started looking at the seven seals. I started looking at um, what the um, it never says that there will be the Bible never says that there'll be a leader of the world or one world leader. It does say it will be a man of lawlessness, that a man who uses deception to manipulate people, a man who um, uh, is um, criminal in nature, lying in nature, immoral in nature. It gives all kinds of attributes to what we would commonly call the Antichrist, but the Bible is also clear that there there are many Antichrists. Listen to the Vibes. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Listen to the Vibes, and I'm very happy to welcome back Mr. Guy Morris. Now, if you're not familiar, uh, he is an author, and uh, his life story is incredible. His his triumphs, his failures, his comebacks, uh, and I'm going to put the link to the last episode so you can go be a little more familiar with him, but... I asked him back because we wanted to talk about a subject that I'm very, very interested in, which is biblical prophecy. Now, you have uh, your theories, and with your brain, I, <laughs> you have you have figured out quite a bit. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say on, on these things. So uh, well, how did you get started with the biblical prophecies anyway? First off, Kyle, thank you for having me back. It's oh, a pleasure yeah. to see you again and, and to fellowship with you. And uh, thank you for opening up an opportunity to talk about this uh, prophecy, which is a really important topic uh, for not only Christians, but non-Christians. And what a lot of people don't realize is that um, a number of uh, the Mayans had prophecies of the end times. Um, other, The Islam has prophecies of the end times. Christianity has prophecies of the end times. The Jewish faith has prophecy of the end times. So it's not just a Christian phenomenon. It's actually something that um, many spiritual um, um, places, uh, spiritual people have basically um, come to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, like many people of my age, I'm in my 60s, I got Early, my early indoctrination in end time prophecy came from the Left Behind series. Mm-hmm. Even at the time, while that was a powerful series, even at the time as I read um, the books and then I would read Revelations and Ezekiel and Daniel and, and the Gospels and try and put my own kind of thoughts around what they were trying to tell me, there was a, there was a, an awareness of me that they they were getting some things wrong, that they had built in biases. Um, into their interpretations. And, and biases can come from a number of things. Uh, first off, the biases often, most often happen through the interpretation of allegories. And, and allegories were simply used because the prophets of old really had no 
frame of reference to describe what would happen, how it would happen. Um, as opposed, and, and so allegories were a way of basically um, saying something phenomenal will happen and the result will be. And so one of the key things for me in prophecy was to try and step back from the allegories, which I'm assuming I have biases as well. And, and, and so rather than st- step back from the allegory and focus more on, well, what did the allegory say would happen? What happened after the allegory? What was the result in terms of human history, in terms of um, uh, the the impact on the world or people or other things? And that was a real good one of the steps that I think I had to take. Now, for ages, people, you know, back when the world was around a thousand years old, uh, you know, that time frame, there was a big panic that we had entered in time prophecies. There were the Seventh Day Adventists that swore that the last day would come in the early part of the nineteenth of the twentieth century. There have been people throughout history who have said um, that the end times had either already come, uh, that the prophecy had already been fulfilled through the Roman Empire and things like that, or uh, there's people that say, "Well, yeah, I believe in prophecy, but not for another generation or two. My grandchildren will have to deal with all that stuff." Or there's people that just say, "Now nah, that's just a bunch of you know delusional, drug-induced hokey." <laughs> and and you know, so you know, growing up, there was always the 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 typical meme that you'd see. Um, if meme was a thing back then, was a, a photograph of a guy with a long bushy beard wearing a burlap sack standing on the corner in Manhattan with a sign saying the end is near mm-hmm. and everyone basically looking at him laughing and saying, what a kook, you know, he belongs in an institution. And so there was a part of me as a rational intellectual analytical type of person to say, you know, I, I wondered if there was a more objective way for me to think about prophecy so that I could, I wouldn't get caught up with saying, well, is his interpretation of the allegory right or is this guy's interpretation of the allegory right? And there's, there's lots of, there's the, um, but how it, one of the real turning points for me was I was, I, I was divorced from my first wife. I was a, a single parent. My son was, a, um, was at his, uh, my ex-wife's for a weekend. Uh, and, and at the week before that, or a, a couple weeks before this, I was reading a National Geographic magazine, which I love. It's, it's, it's straightforward. It, uh, it's, um, um, uh, it, it's, it really is informational, really great um, uh, journalism, really amazing photography. They talk about real, they talk about cultures, they talk about religion, they talk about politics, they talk about the environment, they talk about science, really broad spread um, sort of view of the world that in which we live in. And, I, and I, I love that magazine. I've always have. But I was reading a particular article. And in this particular article, it talked about how um, a uh, a, a huge decrease in fishing stocks in Asia, Americas, Latin America, Europe, um, basically all over the world, um, we were overfishing. And that the, the stock, the fish stocks were, were, were rapidly decreasing. Um, the combined with the rapid uh, deterioration of the reef systems around the world, which are the nurseries of the fish stocks, uh, we were seeing a potentially irreversible decline in uh, ocean uh, ocean life. And at the time I was I was thinking, oh that well I'm not a huge fish eater, 
So it, I, I wasn't like, okay, well, that, I'm, I'm not going to be able to eat tomorrow. But there was something that triggered me. He said, now, wait a minute. There was a prophecy in Revelation. And I went and looked it up. It's the prophecies of the seven trumpets. And in the seven trumpets, um, there, the allegory is that a flaming rock falls from the sky uh, and a third of the fish of the sea die and a third of the birds of the air die and a third of the land, beasts of the land die. And um, I think it was a third or two thirds of the rivers uh, of the earth are basically poisoned and, and, and undrinkable. And this is the wormwood, what people would call the wormwood prophecy. And I thought there was a part of me that said, no, wait a minute. No, no asteroid fell from the sky. And you would expect those things to happen if we had an asteroid impact, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Similar to the one that killed the dinosaurs, similar to the one that started the Younger Dryas uh, um, crisis and and killed off all the megafauna in the North America. Um, and, And so you would expect that from either a super volcano or an asteroid, but we haven't had that yet. If I looked at the other, when I realized that all of the other trends, things that the, this prophecy said would happen in terms of flocks of, uh, of birds, um, um, uh, beasts on land, um, and rivers pollution had already occurred since 1948. Now, 1948, I'm going to, let me step back just a second. 1948 was when a, the UN agreed together, 140 nations agreed that they should carve out a part of the old Palestinian land, which used to be part of the Ottoman Empire, uh, to create a land for Israel. Now, for those who are love Israel, those who hate Israel, those who hate the Palestinians, those who love the Palestinians, all of that is modern day politics that are irrelevant to the fact that nowhere in all of human history has a world body come together to say, hey, you see these dispersed people that have left their homeland, been been kicked out of their homeland 2,000 years ago? Let's give it back to them. That's a singular event in all of human history. Very unlikely, given how divided the world is uh, politically, economically, socially, uh, for everyone to basically come together. And it took a holocaust uh, for that to happen. But... um, that was a unique singular event that was from a probability perspective, highly unlikely. But since then we have seen um, hundreds, not a couple, not a dozen, but hundreds of prophecies being fulfilled. Now, some of them are subjective. We talk about the, as in the days, I hear a lot of churches saying, well, as in days of Noah, it will be in the last days. And they focus on um, sexual and immoral immorality. Well, while that's true, those things have always been present on Earth. And and while we are in a time where they are more prevalent than they've ever been um, in, in at least the last couple thousand years, it's not like they, they, they've always existed. They've been isolated. Maybe they've been hidden more, but they, they haven't really ever gone away. We've always had people of that kind of kill, um, that kind of nature from the Roman empires to all of the kings, you know, uh, religions, popes, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if you're religious, not religious, um, doesn't matter what culture you come from, what nation you come from, those things have existed. So if I, if I said, well, let's take away the uh, subjective 
prophecies and focus more on the objective things. So we can say we're, we are in the sixth extinction. Uh, this has been documented through several books, a number of articles, multiple science magazines, multiple studies. We have seen a third of the fish of the sea, birds of the air, beasts of the land, rivers polluted. That's just one prophecy. That's just the seven seals. And so in my mind, I thought, well, I wonder if, and this was the geek in me kind of coming out, uh, my, my, my inner dweeb, um, said, you know, I, I, I worked with, with an oil company at the time. We had databases for geologic history that went back 100 million years. And we had, um, you know, I had, I went to the library and I got every National Geographic magazine that talked about environmental issues or any of the things that I thought were kind of included in prophecy. And I took about 15 prophecies because I wasn't, I, this was just more of an experiment. And only about 15 out of the hundreds of prophecies, things that I felt that I could at least get really valid data on um, from a third party source, not not a religiously biased source to say, well, there's more immorality than there used to be. And I actually built a um, nonlinear regression probability model. I spent an entire weekend working on my computers at work. I had multiple computers, and so I would have one computer doing one task, another one doing another task. And I tried to calculate, well, what's the probability historically of creating a nation um, from the world body? What's the probability of a third of the fish of the sea dying without an asteroid or some other event? What's the probability of these things happening? I looked at the probability of um, uh, nuclear um, um, power. Uh, I looked at the probability of um, uh, intercontinental communications and travel. I looked at the problem, which a prophesied men could be going to and fro, the increase in knowledge and how computers had added to that. Uh, and there were several, as I said, there's only about 15, mm-hmm. but 15 where I can come up with real statistical validated facts to support in, in, in the course of a week, right? Just researching a week. And after a long, long, long weekend, um, it was like at nine or 10 o'clock at night on Sunday night, I was finally done. I needed to go home and get some sleep because I had to go to work in the morning. Um, and my son had come back or something and it was coming back. And, and um, I had come to a, a probability that it was one in 1.4 trillion that these things were random. And I thought to myself, honestly, well, gee, maybe I did my math wrong. That seems higher than I was expecting. Maybe, maybe my math is wrong, but it was the probability of this plus this plus this plus this plus, you know, basically all of them together. And then I thought, well, even if I'm off by a factor of 10 or a factor of 100, that's still an amazingly large number. Yeah. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. And I realize that, well... Either my methodology was completely flawed, which I'm going to play a, a, a Adrian Monk and say, yeah, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Or 
it validated for me that we were in the last days. We were in the end times that had been prophesied and people had been mistaking these things for years. Now, one of the things I also, one of the other key things I realized in, in coming up with this analysis is that prophecy was never written to predict the future. It was written to interpret the present. It was written so that if you can get to a time when A plus B plus C plus D plus E, if you can basically say all of these things are occurring in my time frame, that's your wake-up call to realize that the groom is coming and 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 these days are 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 at our we're at those days. It but for many years, people were using them to try and interpret them. I think a lot of the biases and allegory and corrections were because people were trying to interpret them, how to predict the future based on their current events, when they would say, well, it's not now, but in the future, it's going to look like this. And so one of the things that I felt were wrong out of the, the um, um, uh, Left Behind series was the idea that there was a single, and you hear this all the time, um, the 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 one world leader, that there would be a one world government, there would be a one world religion, that there would be a single leader, and that leader was the Antichrist and the cause of all these bad things. And I thought, you know, I'm a pretty practical thinking guy. I I I, I honestly cannot conceive of any time in the near future or even distant future where Russia, China, the United States, all of Europe, all of Latin America, all of Asia, all of Africa will agree that they're all part of the same nation and uh, elect a single person. Right. Uh, I, that's just, that's just, uh, and a, um, now at the time that people were thinking, well, the Pope, right? Well, but the Pope doesn't really have the power to change currency. The Pope doesn't have the power to enforce, doesn't have an army. And so there were a lot of times they would basically apply to something to a local or a time, a bias of some sort and, and misinterpret what prophecy was really saying because they weren't really looking at it. They, they were trying to basically use their own filters to, to, to interpret that. And so I started realizing that prophecy was not about predicting the future and that the more we go into the future to try and understand what that allegory is going to mean, as opposed to um, what the outcome is, um, the more we get into error. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I start looking at, well, if a prophecy hasn't occurred based on the outcomes of that prophecy, then it hasn't occurred yet. And how that might happen is really, you have to be honest and say it's speculative. Maybe there's some validity to it, maybe, probably not. Uh, and and I'll confess, I even do this a little bit in my books. I look at the third temple and, and scenarios in the world that might lead to that. Um, but those are speculative. And I tell people that's speculative. I'm not saying that's how it's going to happen. I could be real wrong. And the first thing you need to learn, anybody who studies prophecy, is the ability to admit that you could be wrong. Um, and that there, there might be other aspects that you're not seeing. There might be biases that you're factoring in that maybe you're not aware of and but this, but so that's why i tried to really get it down to can i get rid of the subjective criteria and focus more on the objective criteria and the objective criteria for me was math was was the probabilities were this things that i could say this has definitely happened on earth it's documented and the probabilities against that happening by random chance are really 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 low
Mm. And so the, now if I take all of those things together, it becomes um, almost the, the, the math is, is so profound that it's, it's you, you, you have to, you either denying it out of a bias because you really want to believe in your bias or you're denying it out of because you're afraid and, and you don't really want to deal with that truth. So that was where I started. And from that perspective, I started looking at the seven seals. I started looking at um, what the, um, it never says that there'll be, the Bible never says that there'll be a leader of the world or one world leader. It does say it'll be a man of lawlessness, that a man who uses deception to manipulate people, a man who um, uh, is um, criminal in nature, lying in nature, immoral in nature. It gives all kinds of attributes to what we would commonly call the Antichrist, but the Bible is also clear that there, were, there are many Antichrists. Caesar was an Antichrist in that he lived completely contrary to the teachings of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And Hitler, we could argue Hitler, Mussolini, um, Stalin were all antichrists. Uh, I could make the argument that Putin, um, Xi, um, and some of our own leaders are antichrist in their nature. And is it so we have to kind of just get rid of this idea that there's only a single person and that he somehow deceives the whole world. Because that's not really what the scriptures say will happen. And so people think that because that was the bias that was created hundreds of years ago and has carried through. And But it doesn't really line up to what scriptures really say. And it's not really line, doesn't really line up to the facts on the ground during the time on the ground where all of the signs of the times uh, were to come to pass. Now, the other thing I realized was that and, and interrupt me if you have questions. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm enjoying listening to this. Prophecy really has two different, two different major phases. The biggest part of it, most of the prophecies come in what I call the signs of the times. Mm -hmm. The world will look like this in all of these different aspects. And that's there to tell you that the time is near, but not quite yet. And then the second phase of prophecy are essentially the seven years of tribulation, right? Mm -hmm. So the signs of the times are all the things, and it's a period of time, because if it were to happen just a single event or even a short period of event, our, our minds are, are easy to dismiss, right? Easy to kind of, well, that just uh, an, an anomaly. But the signs of the times are basically there to add up and be so cumulative that we have to then admit that, okay, this, this tribulation period is at hand. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's why things happen. So Jesus said that this generation will not pass. So everything's uh, will not pass until all of these things have occurred. And he referred was re, wasn't referring to his current generation. He was referring to this final generation. Uh, the Bible talks about um, the fulfillment of 77s. And in 2023, is when we're finally getting to the 70th week of jubilee, the, the, jubilee, the 70th jubilee, which is the culmination of the Jewish uh, pro uh, prophecies of, of um, their seven times, their, their basic um, um, jubilee kind of calendar, right? Okay. Now, ironically, incidentally, coincidentally, or probably, you know, the probabilities of us 
all of these things happening since 1948 when Israel finally becomes a nation, which in itself fulfilled a prophecy saying until the end of the age of the Gentiles. And I, for years, I wondered what that meant until I, I heard of one pastor say it's the age when Gentiles would stop ruling over the city of Israel. Right. When Gentiles, because once the Romans basically um, got rid of, basically destroyed Jerusalem and took over, it wasn't that Jerusalem was abandoned entirely. The Romans actually tried to turn it into a Roman city. Um, and then became other cultures and the, uh, the Muslims and then the, the Ottomans and, and et cetera. But it wasn't until 1948 and or 1967, more accurately even, that the age of the Gentiles ended. And that's ironically when all of these other prophecies started to be fulfilled. And so we get to a time clock and the age of the Gentiles is the, the, the event that says, okay, this singular event in human history will be when we start the time clock that's your okay let's let's go and that's that's your your starting point and a lot of uh, to their benefit a lot of prophecy teachers do recognize that aspect of it um and 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 then all of the things happened since are basically signs of the times right so we're in that those signs of the times now in that period then if we're in that period then we should be able to look up and say well how are all these other prophecies being fulfilled? Can I find evidence of them being fulfilled um, in a meaningful sense um, that actually aligns with the other things scriptures are talking about? And so that's where I, that's why I got started in it. That's why I believe in it. I, I, I kind of became convinced by the objective analysis. And I look to, in my books, the reason I write political thrillers um, uh, be, is because I can combine politics and world religion and world economics, climate, um, social changes, technology mm -hmm. changes, artificial intelligence, art, you know, weaponry, advanced weapons. I can combine all of these things and and the, the nature of some of our, our recent leaders um, and, and actually start to get a better frame better viewpoint as to how to interpret these many prophecies and how I can align those up to things that are actually occurring in our daily lives now. And they're cumulative. Right. You see the seven trumpets. It's not like the seven trumpets happens and uh, all of these, this sixth extinction starts. Uh, and then that gets, that stops. And then we start another phase like the seven seals but they're cumulative. These things are additive. It's like this will happen, and then this will happen as well, and this will happen on top of that, and then all of these things will start to stack up, and that will be your world viewpoint as you enter, get closer to the tribulation period. So, you think there that then that there's not a singular antichrist that's, I guess, going to have the influence over us or. Uh, supposed to be a uh a false prophet and i know that this the bible talks about a lot of false prophets and you know that there's there's plenty of them yeah, we're seeing them and there are plenty of them and so does that mean that there's one that stands out more than the others i i would argue no um because for example right now there is a man uh in israel that uh, many of the Jewish Pharisees and, and uh, rabbis uh, believe could be the Messiah, their Jewish Messiah. Um, and 
they would never accept a false prophet from a Christian culture because they just discount everything we do as false religion anyway. They would never really think in terms of a false messiah in the Islamic culture because they don't really see them as anointed um, in any sense. And so to some extent, we're going to see false prophets rising up in all of these major religions, um, basically conflicting and, and deceiving um, their local flocks into believing um, different things. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. In Iran, uh, there's a lot of uh, speculation that the um, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini's son, um, Man Manitoba, I think is, uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, could be the what the is Islamics call the Mahdi, which is their version of a messiah. And that the Mahdi will prove himself by redeeming the city of Israel from the um, uh, uh, the, from the Jews, right? By basically restoring that to Islamic rule. In contrast, um, the um, the Quran basically says that the Mahdi will come from Mecca, and so the uh, current crown prince is often spoken of in in those circles. So you got the Shia and the and the uh, the Sunni. Um, sects in Islam, and so the Shia sect believe that the um, the son of the the Ayatollah is the Mahdi, but the Sunni sect will now. Uh, there's a large segment of it that believes that the Crown Prince, uh, with his reforms and his desire to create create peace in Israel and and some of those things are will be the the the, the Mahdi. If you look at their prophecies. Before the Mahdi will come, will come something they call the Dajjal, which is their form of an Antichrist. Somebody who's deceptive, manipulative, hateful, violent. And so those, so we're seeing all of those things happening in, in that sect as well. So we, we look at some of the false prophets in Christianity. And we can look, certainly point to some of the radical, hateful trends from some of the televangelists and some of the megachurches. And so when we mix our politics with our religion, we basically dilute the religion. We dilute our faith by basically prioritizing and idolizing political movements. And so I, I don't believe that any that the Democrats are righteous or that they're evil. I don't believe that the Republicans as a whole are righteous or evil. But I, I think that we have to be completely agnostic in political terms in order to see not to idolize either one because they can become idols just as we've created idols out of celebrities we've created idols out of elon musk and really smart people and with rich people and so we remove the idols and we say well what does scripture say will happen who does scripture say we should be uh, focused on you, you kind of put all of these things sort of in the background and then you can look at them and say well how are they lining up relative to what scripture says will happen and, and I think that's the healthier way to go, right? Um, to be honest, I was trained to be a capitalist. I was a Republican for many years um, uh, and, um, you know, believed more in the free market systems and created, you know, believed more in the economic growth of things. Um, because I was traumatized as a child, I also worked, I was very poor. I worked alongside migrant workers. And while I knew that my hard work had helped change my life, I also recognized that were things that God had done in my life that changed my life even more. Um, I'm compassionate. 
I'm, I'm humanitarian. I believe that Christ came and he gave us the example. He fed the poor. He healed the sick. He took care of those who were downtrodden. He took care of the, the only sect that he rebuked more often than the others were the religious Pharisees, the people who thought that they were so religious that they could look down on others. And those are the people that he attacked uh, almost consistently. So we can apply that to our own lives and our own culture today. And, and so, yeah, I think that we do have um, a lot of false prophets. And I think there will be a spirit of Antichrist that rises up. And you can see this rising up in, as I said, in, in Russia, in China, a few places in Europe, a um, few places in, 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 in uh, Asia and, and, and uh, Africa and South America, and even in the United States. We can see that happening. Now, I read once one place that the interpretation of 666 was a little bit off. We keep looking for a man that's going to stamp 666 on our foreheads and our, on our hands. But 666 in one interpretation became the accumulation, the pinnacle of human systems. Mm -hmm. Basically, humanity putting itself above godliness. And we see that also happening in terms of artificial intelligence, uh, in terms of global banking systems that can try to control what currencies we use and how we develop currencies and what we what we want to do. And right now, the world, uh, the sense, uh, now I don't believe COVID was a manufactured crisis. I think that nobody, it, it, it wasn't just a, a, as some believe that it was some sort of deception that happened in the U.S. only. It's been a worldwide phenomenon. Tens of millions of people have actually died. Hospitals have basically been overloaded. It has really stretched the system from China to the United States. Nobody's been immune. And so it has been a real crisis. And, and to say that it was a manufactured one is to imply that China is working with Europe, is working with the United States to somehow come up with this manufactured crisis. And that's not the case. But it does say that in prophecy, in the seven seals, that there would be a pestilence, there would be a, there would be a pandemic, mm -hmm. and it would be global. And I point out to people that even the Black Plague was primarily focused on the European continent, mm -hmm. didn't affect the Americas, didn't affect South America, was very, very, didn't really affect Asia, um, didn't really affect Africa, it was, it was, it was localized. And so... Um, even if I look at the Spanish flu in 1911 that killed tens of millions of people, that also was somewhat localized to Americas and Europe and a few other places. Um, only since we've had global travel, global communications, where I can fly from China to San Francisco in a day or a few hours, um, have and, and that's happening to the tunes of tens of millions of people every year or every day, every week, um, have we really seen this sort of global level of pandemic that threw the entire world economic system on its heels? So if I look at the seven seals, so one of the premises of one of my books, The Swarm, is that we've entered into the phase of the seven seals, mm -hmm. which deals with um, rising accumulation of war and war capabilities, um, a false prophets and false teachers rising up, a pandemic that would basically be worldwide, economic turmoil that would be worldwide. And we're seeing that just beginning to start unravel as well. Um, the division of man. So the fifth seal is really about um, persecution, but it's also about goes back to what Jesus said would be brother rising up against brother. Families basically splitting against each other. Yeah. And we're seeing that happening all over the yeah. world, not just yeah. in America. 
we're seeing it happen everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're now in the seven seals phase of prophecy where those things are aggregating up. And so one of the things that um, when I hear 666, I, I was getting to get back to that was that this was really world systems. And we, in the last few years, the world economic forum, which includes most of the dominant world economies have basically said, you know, in part because of the instability that's been going on in America, the appeal of using the U.S. dollar as the primary form of global transactions, trade, and currency has lost its appeal. It, it's it's especially when Congress threatens to basically send us into default if they don't get what they want, right? Um, yeah. That creates uncertainty in in other countries that they 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 don't necessarily want to be tied to our bad politics. And so the World Economic Forum has now said, well, we now have the capability of having a global digital currency. And the global digital currency could be could be actually implemented based on artificial intelligence and, and computing systems that didn't exist even 10 years ago. Right. Right. So we've now reached the point where the idea of a global digital currency is realistic. And in that currency, they will talk about, well, we'll be able to stabilize um, trade, we'll be able to stabilize transactions, uh, it'll move faster, we'll be able to isolate criminals uh, faster, but that also means they'll be able to implement sanctions faster uh, and more comprehensively. Um, They could expose, that could be used to expose um, covert operations from every government uh, more easily. Um, uh, It could be used to say, well, um, you didn't pay your taxes, so now we can freeze your accounts. Um, or you didn't comply with something we think you should be complying with, so now we're gonna you, we can control whether you spend or buy or whatever. Frightening capabilities. Um, and if you believe that the world systems were stable and moral and humanitarian and compassionate and would never do anything that would. Um, put banking concerns over the concerns of regular people, that might be an okay thing. There's a lot of people who love digital currencies. They're really popular right now. We've really lowered the threshold of uh, a currency backed by an actual government or banking system that actually has the value. So right now, most of the digital currencies are pyramid schemes. They only have value if they can get more people to buy into them. And that includes, there's right now 40 countries that have their own digital currency. Um, Criminals and criminal organizations largely use uh, digital currencies to hide their their transactions from banking systems and the controls there. Um, But as that becomes a governmental problem system that creates what we saw, what we see in scriptures described as the mark of the beast. Mm -hmm. So it's not that a person will implement these things. That was a false interpretation. It never said a single person would be this one world leader. It said it talks about world leaders, which I could say Macron is a is a world leader. I could say um, our president Biden is a world leader. She is a world leader. Um, you, you've got basically the G7, which is the largest economies in the world. Yeah. Right now, ironically, when we look at the beast, if you look at Revelations, that actually talks about two different beasts mm-hmm. and two different dragons. So um, and and we've because we didn't know I have a, a way of un- 
understanding these things in the past, artists have painted these weird pictures of creatures with multiple heads and part this creature and part that creature. And actually that focus on the analogy from the creature perspective is, is one of those things that, that gets us off, right? That gets us off base to looking at what it really exists. But if you look at the characteristics of their, let's talk with the beast of the land first, the beast of the land. If you look at the characteristics, I could argue that there's an alliance that's developed now between Russia, Iran, Turkey, and China that fits all of the characteristics of that beast. And the China comes in because it says it has the voice of a dragon, which has been allocated, you know, basically a symbol of China for many, many, many generations. And in fact, if I look at the reality on the ground, um, because of the current Ukraine war, Russia really doesn't have a lot of power. Its its money doesn't really carry much weight by sanctions and other issues elsewhere. China already has a digital currency that Russia is now using for international transactions. Oh, wow. Um, China also has their use of AI has focused on citizen surveillance. They can basically monitor you, what you shop, where you go, what you say online. They can correlate all those things together to decide if you're a good citizen or a bad citizen. And then they can punish you economically by jobs, by restricting your currency and other things, whether or not you're a good enough citizen. What most people don't know is that China has already sold that AI system, that AI surveillance system, to 60 countries around the world. Oh, wow. Mainly in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. But U.S. cities, some of the more far, some more radical U.S. cities have also thought about using it for control of crime. Now, why you have to watch 99% of the people to find that 1% of criminals is, is, is false thinking, in my view. Yeah. But it's part of that beast of the land. So through... If you think in terms of the beasts as economic and military alliances, we now can see them. We now can actually define them. When we look at the other beast, the beast of the sea, the one with seven heads and ten crowns and ten horns, well, we look at the G7 economies. And those economies basically tie, those are the, those are the heads. And with those economies tied to economic uh, and, and military alliances, for example, in EU, and the, uh, there's 10 monarchies um, that still exist within Europe and the G7 alliances, including Japan. So there's 10, there's 10 crowns. And then if you look at their financial systems, there's 10 major financial centers between all of those countries. And if you look at banking being that thing that basically holds all of these things that that's that uh, we're not going to have a single government, but we, we do have a, a single international banking system that connects the U.S. with Europe, with Asia, with Latin America, with every place else. And that's the system that now controls our dollar. Um, most people don't understand that the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, uh, all um, several other major um, world banks um, aren't public banks. Uh, we don't own the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is actually a privately owned entity that was created with shareholders that are hidden. So we don't even know exactly who the shareholders were that started the Federal Reserve because it's been sealed. And so we now have sealed banks that are owned by a handful of global oligarchs that 
control many of the economic and other policies in most of the major nations within the G7. So we do have the, this, this, the systems that were set up in prophecy, and we can look at now the interactions between those systems of how we, we set things up and, and how they interact with each other. And as that's basically occurring with Ukraine and, and um, sanctions on Russia and, and um, divisions between, you know, alliances between Russia and, and Iran against Israel, um, we can now start to actually see these things taking place and coming to pass. Yeah. And in very practical, real ways. Now, when people say, well, it's going to be something on the hand or on the forehead, I said, well, it doesn't, you know, for many years, people say, well, it's going to be a chip, knowing that most people would never accept a physical chip in their body. But what they have accepted in huge, enormous volumes is the idea that I could use my facial recognition or a thumbprint or bio recognition as a security measure to access my phone or access my computer uh, and other other systems. And so we do see the, the technology now rising up to basically implement the basic parameters of what uh, uh, what we're told to happen. So, so go ahead. Let me ask you something. If it is you know, facial recognition and fingerprints. Okay. Without that knowledge of that being the mark. So someone like me who uses facial recognition for my phone, have I already fallen into that? I think a lot of people have an ignorance. Uh, I don't use, I, I refuse to use any biometrics uh, as my security measures. Um, and I'll argue it from a very practical way. I was in I was in technology for many years. If somebody hacks my email or hacks my my password for whatever my email my my any of my sites, I can change my password. If somebody hacks my facial recognition software, and this has already happened in 2019, 2.1 million facial recognition. Um, individuals' identities were hacked out of a company called Clearview, which is the same company that uses facial recognition to get you through quickly in the lines at the airport. Um, that list, those identities were sold on the dark web. Those people will never, I can never change that aspect of my digital identity. And so anywhere that aspect needs to be used, I could basically use those files, those digital files to replicate my, that person into these, into these areas, including uh, a lot of government agencies. So I tell people that there are two reasons, and, and whether that's the mark of the beast, I don't know, I could be wrong, but it fits many of the characteristics. Um, but either way, I say that I don't use it. I don't recommend it because anything is hackable. And once it, if it does get hacked, if it does get stolen, you can, I can always reset a password. I can never reset my facial recognition. Right. And, and so I advise people to either stop using it, um, delete the files on their phones if they have them, but they're already in a computer and in a server someplace. But um, as we move towards these digital currencies and these world kind of systems, I tell people that they really need to be very aware of those because those could be part of what we're really seeing as Mark of the Beast. God, I hope that's not because, uh, I mean, if I would have even knew for a hint 
that that was a mark of the beast, I would never have done it in the first place. I don't want it to be, uh, well, it's too late for me now. I, I don't think it's too late because I don't think it's something, I, th I think it's more about, I think the Lord knows intent. And I think that if we're willing to repent of something, I think that that's that we can be recognized for that and not buy into that system and not buy into, buy into the larger issues. Yeah, so I, I do know, I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I, I watched a, a demonstration of how they do have these things that they're implanting in your arms. And I'm assuming you could put it in your head too, if you didn't have arms. Um, and it's got every bit of information that you have. I mean, from social media to your banking, everything possible is on that chip. So that to me, I, I figured that was the way it would go. That's one. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's one thing or the other. Mm -hmm. it, it could mean that it's all of these technological means of controlling our identity and our activities. Right. Right. So any of these electronic means that basically can control everything. Now, we live in an age of computers. I use my computer all the time. I do business. I write. I research. Um, but and, you know, maybe the people that are really safest in the long run are the people who are completely disconnected from all that and live in a rural agricultural environment, which is impossible, nearly impossible to do in this day and age. So I, I focus more on being aware spiritually. Of, again, we talked about political idols. We talked about celebrity idols. We talked about technology idols. Being very aware not to put any of my faith in any of those things and to be cautious of all of those things. Mm -hmm. Because this is sort of a, it's not that there'll be one thing that will be the thing. It's a growth of these things that basically create this environment in, in these last days. And so, yeah, I, just for other reasons, uh, I don't recommend um, bio um, um, identity uh, for security um, because, as I said, they can, like anything else, they can be hacked. And now that gets us into artificial intelligence a little bit. Um, I've, I was one of the early innovators into uh, artificial intelligence and this, it, before it was machine learning and, and the early stages, it, there was a system called, there was a phase of it called expert knowledge systems. And I was an innovator and, and an adapter of those systems in, in, in one of my companies. And we used it uh, for, to do operations and do certain tasks. And I, I, it was before I really started understanding prophecy and all these other things as well. But um We've now reached the stage with artificial intelligence, and it's advancing extremely fast, much faster than I think some people really want to admit. Um, we, you've heard recently about ChatGPT, which is an open AI platform that's language-based, language and, and uh, human knowledge-based. So it's similar to the character I've created in my books called, called Sylvia in that it can speak and, and articulate and communicate and, and um, mimic other personas, mimic ideas, reflect back uh, what we'd want to say. It's not always 100% accurate, which people have to be aware of. There are ways to sort of detect what might be AI written versus human written, but it's a scary advance in that technology. It's not very good at math. It can't really do sort of the probability the probability models that I had done and, and, and other types of things. But it's it's a scary aspect of, of 
of where we're going. Um, there are roughly 12, 15 companies scattered around the world uh, between China, Europe, and the United States that are actively working on uh, one of the next phases of artificial intelligence development, which is conscious or sentient AI, which means that an AI can converse with us about any topic, but is also self-aware of itself and how it is different than people that it's speaking to. I'm going to ask you something real quick before you go on. Have you seen the the new app that comes up? um, It's uh, artificial intelligence, but you type in or you. That's what I just mentioned. That's chat GPT. Yeah. And it is say like you want uh, one of the examples was like you wanted a Ninja Turtle sitting in a bar and Mm -hmm. it paints a picture for you. Yeah. Oh no, the, those are yeah, but those are other forms of the creative. Yeah, the, the but it's about the same thing, right? Uh, very similar, and, and basically just using visual cues instead of literary cues, right? I'm sorry, I didn't uh, mean to cut you off. I just no, no, no. Curious. That's another good example, right? So we're now seeing that AI um, are being designed especially for doing, you know, basically um, creating visual cues. There's also AI that could create realistic um, um, uh, renditions of people. And morph those things. You can actually get uh, videos of this of an AI morphing between a red-haired man with a beard to a um, brunette with blue eyes to a uh, African American to uh, the different types of genres, different not genres, different types of um, um, uh, heritage, different types of genes, different types of looks, and that they can basically replicate. Um, um, humans. Now, one of the things uh, in my last episode with you, I mentioned that we had I had discovered a program that had escaped the NSA. One of the attributes of that program that turned out to be true that I had figured out was that it could use what we now call the deep fake video technology, the ability to take Kyle's image and his voice and then pretend to say something that Kyle using this technology to use your image and voice and make you say something that maybe I'm making you say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same sort of creative um, um, type of technology that's being used to create artwork, to create um, now um, creative endeavors like novels and things like that. Here's the one you. Here's the one thing that's that's uh, that we can see, say about all of those different things is that they're derivative of styles, art, pictures, images, words, history that are already exist. They use massive data points. So for example, uh, the current version of chat GPT uses, I think the number is 175 billion data points. The next version, chat GPT-4, will use close to 100 trillion data points. Wow. The more data points that it uses, the more accurate it becomes in reflecting us, uh, reflecting back at us who we are. Yeah. Now that's an important distinction because it can do so from a analytical perspective. It can do so from a literary um, language perspective, um, which is how we communicate with each other. It can do so from a visual, artistic, creative perspective. It can do so from a persona uh, uh, replication perspective. And if you think about how all that fits together. Um, and how that system is also the same system that would con- enable our weapon systems, 
enables our um, cyber and national security systems, would enable banking systems, especially as we go to a world, a global digital currency. That cumulative aggregation of neural networks and systems and data points is what I believe the Bible is referring to as the image of the beast. The image of ourselves being reflected back at us, starting to take control over our daily activities. Wow. You know, there's a, another app that I saw. And mind you, it's it's crude looking, but it's still quite remarkable that they could do this. They had a picture that looked like something back in the 1980s of this kid. And they were playing music in the background. And this kid's all of a sudden looks like he's singing to this to the song. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, you know, like yeah. I said, it's still crude looking, but it's still something pretty remarkable to look at. Well, the crudeness really doesn't come into the app from the application. It comes into the power of the computer using the application. So mm -hmm. that crudeness could be smoothed over with a more powerful computer. Wow. So Crazy. most of those kind of things that look crude like that are being done by a normal personal computer. But if I took a supercomputer, if I took a more powerful computer, um, I could I could actually replicate that in a way that most people would never be able to discern. Uh, and so we're reaching that point. We're now getting to, to see, understand what the image of the beast might start looking like and how it re is our image. It's reflecting us. It's reflecting what we think and what we say and how we work and how we do business and how we secure ourselves and how we, we go to war and how we do our banking. It's starting to basically filter into all aspects of our modern life. And that's becoming our image. And that will be the same system that enables global currency that will enable uh, and we're seeing it with chat, chat GPT and all these other things, misinformation and deceptions. Um, that will enable um, more advanced lethal warfares. Um, right now, um, the NSA and, and certain parts of the NSA, there's a group in the NSA that's sort of their um, Navy SEALs of the of cyber security, could have the capabilities to essentially take down an entire national network. So imagine if overnight the Internet were basically taken offline. You couldn't get access to your banking. You couldn't get access to your email. You couldn't get access to the, your, any of the news or information you have online. Social media would go away. Um, all of these other applications that are now service cloud-based applications go away. Uh, we now cripple overnight if I take down um, the, the, the cell phone towers and, and the infrastructure. Um, we You could, with the tools that we have today, we could basically destroy that entire infrastructure. Uh, of a country uh, or a company or an individual. And so we're, we're reaching the capabilities to say, well, we have that control. Now, of course, they wouldn't do that intentionally unless it was an enemy attack. Um, but the fact that they have those controls, we can't assume that it will never be used for um, for some kind of purpose. And again, I don't I don't really associate any of this with either Democrat or Republican. Uh, I used to be Republican. I'm now agnostic. I, I don't really I can't believe in the extreme left, nor can I believe in the extreme right. I'm much more of a clear moderate. If somebody's a criminal, they don't belong in office. I don't care what color they, they wear. Um, there wouldn't be nobody in office then. 
Well, there we'd have to start with we'd have to tend to have different criteria if we could get into office. And I don't know, think there'd be nobody, but I certainly think there'd be a lot fewer. Um, yeah. I think that the uh, there are honest people in office, but they are overwhelmed by the dishonest ones for sure. Yeah. Um, and and so you know we have to really look at all of those things and say, well, that's the world in which we live. So does that line with prophecy? Right. And it's not to say to pick apart how the world is working. The question that we keep coming back to, and I kept coming back to is, does this align with prophecy? And if so, what does what does scripture tell me how I should read? How am I supposed to respond to all of these things in a scriptural manner? Right? I believe the answer to that lies in these seven messages to the seven churches. Now, some people will say, well, those were just churches that existed. They were all churches that existed in Turkey. Those were all basically the modern you know, churches that existed a long, long time ago. But you could look at those and find correlations to churches that exist today. And so one of the things, the most important things I think a pastor could do, it, rather than go through the teaching of the seven churches and point to the other guys, a good pastor will go through the teachings of the seven churches and say, how does any of this apply to us? How does any of this apply to me? Am I in one of those categories? Am I doing one of these things? How do I make sure that of the 10 virgins that eat, that uh, were waiting for the groom and only five of them had oil in their lamps when, when it, when he came, how do, what does that mean? And how do I make sure I have oil in my lamp? Is it my political awareness? Is it my political activism? Uh, is it my wealth? Is it my career? Is it my social environment? Or is it is it what Jesus said, my ability to basically love everyone, regardless of where they come from, how they got here, or um, what they believe, right? How they look. Can I love my neighbor? And in every example, when the Lord said taught us to love our neighbor, he used an example of someone outside of the accepted Jewish community to basically tell them loving your neighbor means loving the other, not just loving those who were like you and your family and that believe like you and look like you and acted like you, but loving the other. And so when we look at the scripture, if we, if the correlation to all these things are lining up to a level where the probabilities of it happening in a single generation are just astronomically low, and if we believe that we're in that time, then we change our perspectives. We start saying, well, I, I'm not going to be, the best thing I could do is just be a watcher. Where I'm looking at my own views, looking at the own my own world, looking at my society, looking at everything with a filter of how does this line up with prophecy? And what do I need to change in order to have oil in my lamp if this is the truth? And that I think is the is the the true lesson, the true motive, the true reason behind prophecy. And, and there are more prophecies about the last days than there were about the coming of Christ. There's more prophecies about the second coming than the first. And it's because we would live in this complicated world with so much information coming at us all the time, including the information we get from our news channels and the disinformation that we get from them mainly, right? And all, both right and left 
have have fallacies. Some of them they they sometimes get a little bit in the middle where they're both right and they're both you know balanced, but a lot of it is really kind of off. And so, I I actually uh, for years I would routinely watch news from at least six different sources, because only by doing that was I able to say well. These guys have a bias over here on this part. These guys have a bias over here on this part. But here's where they kind of intersect. And this is probably where the truth lies somewhere in here. Yeah. Um, and so I, I cultivated it for myself and realizing all these things. Once I did that initial model, I started cultivating for myself the ability to be able to see things from multiple different perspectives, hoping that only in that that sort of Zen diagram intersection will I find the core elements of what it might be true. I, I, in order for me to filter out those things, I have to be able to make sure that I'm getting only the correct information about what's going on and then use that as a way of filtering. Okay, what does scripture say about that? What does prophecy say about that? Is that something I should be worried about or something I should just be dismissing? I almost never go to movies anymore because I can't really, it's too hard to filter out all of the disinformation from the information about relationships, life, et cetera. I barely watch any TV unless it's some of the old, old stuff where it wasn't as as weird as it is now. Um, and, and and I do a lot of my reading is is either novels for my, my genre that I like, uh, but most of those are based on some sort of true factor or it's research into my books for my books. Um, now, I, I have lived a great life. I've flown all over the world. I've flown in corporate jets. I've worked with generals and CXOs. I've been lived, stayed at five-star rest uh, uh, hotels and eaten at five-star restaurants. I've gone sailing. I've gone diving with sharks. I've recorded with written songs for Disney. I've recorded my own studio. Um, I, I I can say I've lived a good life in spite of my post-traumatic stress and my other emotional issues that I had, the things that I had to overcome. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I was poor. I've worked alongside migrant workers um, and I've worked alongside billionaire corporate executives who looked really good in, in their Time magazine article. But I knew them to be greedy and narcissistic and um, self-serving and um, only after themselves. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had what? the honor of basically living both extremes in kind of finding those places in the middle that are um, that are separate from what we would what we would see and idolize in the media, I'm going to trust God, and if, and if something evil happens to me, He's going to get me through it. Um, but I'm not going to respond with evil. And again, we're we're at a stage, we're in this period of the 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 signs of the times to say, and I ask people, I sometimes, if you knew. If the doctor came and told you, you've got a terminal disease that we can't treat, you've got maybe seven, 10 years to live, would that change the choices you make in life? And would that, what would, what kind of changes would that be? Would it be to indulge in in sort of the, the hedonistic form of life that you would want? Or would that change be to try and care for the people that you're, that you might be missing or to, to try and clean up your spiritual act? And, and so we all have choices and the prophecies, the, the signs of the times are there to give us the, 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 the heads up. Something's coming. It's going to get worse. Um, and how, 
how are you going to respond when it does? Are you going to close off? Or are you going to open up? And I think that's the choice that we're being asked to make right now. I think that's how, why there's so many signs of the times, why it was an extended period of time that we should be getting these so that we could get this aggregation of facts and data that should help us lead us to this conclusion. And there are a lot more Christians today believing that we've entered into these, these times than there were when I was in my 20s. So there is a greater awareness of, of, of what we're doing. And I think that um, there are some good teachers out there and some, you know, there are some teachers like all of us. We have biases that um, where I don't necessarily agree with everything they teach. They'll filter in, I think, a political agenda with that. Um, I try to keep away from the political agenda saying, well, I, I don't believe America's, I think America's just a country. I don't think God has anything special for us. If I look at the facts, if I look at the interpretation of scriptures, we're part of the beast of the sea. We're one of those seven heads. Um, and so there's nothing special about America um, that God says, I'm going to bring havoc to all the world, but you guys are special. That's not scriptural. So we no. have to see ourselves as we're part of the beast. Our systems are part of the beast. I. It's not that a country is going to bring salvation it's not that an ideology is going to bring salvation we can only make those per those choices about how to respond as an individual and we really needed to get it down to that level in order to purify ourselves from all those other agendas and that's where i think we are um i i think the evidence is Mount, and people ask me if I really believe we're there. And I say, well, I, I, I didn't when I was in my 20s, when I when I thought everything was really subjective. But I've been able to really kind of discern all of the objective things that are coming to pass that line up and the mathematical probabilities that all those things could occur in a single generation are just astounding me. And I'm a math guy. Um, and so, yeah, I believe that. And then then the question becomes, and this is where we can have debates. What does it mean? How should we respond as Christians and has uh, in that time frame? Um, what should be our Christian response? Now, one of the other things I want to touch on real quick that comes up all the time is uh, the rapture. There are three theories of rapture uh, that are taught. One is that the rapture will happen before the tribulation happens, which basically says Christians, it'll get bad, but only people who don't aren't, aren't Christian um, will have to suffer. Some people say, well, happens midway through the tribulation. So yeah, you'll have to suffer some of it, but not the worst part of it. And then there's people, uh, there's uh, a philosophy that says that, no, the, the rapture will happen when the Lord comes at the end and that we will go through these times as well. Now uh, there's a, there's a, a good guy. There's another uh, um, prophecy teacher who I, I like this guy, but I don't love him because I think sometimes his politics get too enmeshed into what he's teaching. But I, he happens to have a pretty good teaching. He actually teaches on this rapture subject. And he, like him, I believe that in the latter, that the, the rapture will happen at the end when the Lord's coming to basically with his angels to kind of change things entirely. And I say that for a number of reasons. One is I think that that's what the scriptures teach. Two is that all the times that Jesus basically that the scripture prophecies warned the Jews about their own demise, he didn't save them from that. They had to, in order to basically get rid of their own hypocrisies, they had to go through those times. 
uh, and it was how they responded as individuals, not as a nation, but as individuals that really defined how they would basically be judged. And so I think that we're going to have the same situations. Now, we see things happening. We see the rivers of the wor world being polluted. We see loss of fish stocks. We see all these horrible things happening. But they happen unevenly, right? I, I happen to live here in the Northwest where the current droughts aren't affecting me as much, um, where climate change is moderated because I'm on an ocean climate that basically it's not as wet as it used to be. Uh, it's some days it's colder, but it's on average warmer, but it's not really affecting us in a, in a the way that it's affecting Latin America, uh, where it's affecting Africa and other places. Um, so how prophecies apply, it never says that everyone's going to experience it in the same way. There are ways for parts of our culture to um, cushion themselves from these impacts. The people who are super wealthy really don't suffer when the economy falls. Uh, it's the people who are marginalized that suffer mm. more. The middle class suffers. Uh, and yeah. so you could argue that just because things are getting worse and worse and worse doesn't mean that everyone's going to suffer to the same extent. And in fact, the, the scriptures are very clear. It says, those of you who will persevere to the end will get a reward. Right. So it says you're going to persevere through this to the end. And so I, I try to discount the thing the the, the, pro, the ideas that somehow we're going to be raptured out of all this. And so we don't really have to worry about um, how the world's getting. But I also caution people to say, just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean it said there were 10, there were 10 virgins with, with lamps. Only five of them had oil in it. Only five of them were prepared. Their scriptures are very clear that there will be two types of people coming up to judgment. And there will be a type of people that says, Lord, didn't we do great things in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Because sure. you were proud. You were puffed up. You were animo you had animosity. You didn't love your brother the way I told you to. You, you, you didn't really know me. You knew the religion about me. You were very religious, but you weren't obedient to the word. You weren't obedient to the example I set for you. You didn't take up your cross. You didn't lay down your will. You used my name to justify the things that you wanted, the way you wanted them, when you wanted them. And so there were going to be other people that come and say, well, he said, you fed me and you clothed me and you did these other things. And they're going to say, what? When did we do that? Because they weren't aware that they were doing that their, humani their humanitarian efforts were for God. They thought they were just looking out for their neighbor. And there are going to be people who really don't puff themselves up, who really don't see the who's who like you and I see our flaws as well as our the few minor places where we've succeeded, but focus a lot more on how do we become a better person in ourselves? How do we basically in being better in ourselves mean being better to others? And there are going to be people who are more humble, who are more obedient, who are uh, more compassionate, who are more loving. And those are the people that are going to enter in. And so just calling ourselves Christian, just saying, Oh, I'm a, I go to a Christian church isn't the ticket that many people think it is. 
because scriptures are very clear. That's not how it's going to work. And so as we're making these personal choices, going through the, the revelations teachings to the seven churches, we should be, I try to go through those and say, Lord, and I can't say, well, just because I might meet the criteria of one church doesn't mean I might also meet some of the criteria of other churches. These are the ways of saying, these are the ways that Christianity will be distorted um, it, by, by our human, our, our, our sin, by our, our hubris, by our politics, by our culture, by our greed, by our um, fears. These are the things that we need to look out for and the things we need to repent from. And when we read the scripture that Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It was never at the door of an unsaved person. That scripture is part of the teaching to the seven churches. To say, I'm calling you as a Christian, saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. And it's not to the unsaved. He's calling to those who are saved, who believe they are saved, to basically say, this is your chance to make a change. And I think that's the I think that's where prophecies are powerful is when we as Christians don't exclude ourselves from the suffering, don't exclude ourselves from the world systems and the misinformation and the misguidance and the false prophets and all the other things that were going to come. Don't exclude ourselves from the idea that we need to get oil in our lamps. We need to change ourselves and if we're going to have oil in our lamps and be ready for this turmoil that's going to start happening. Um, and we can see the setup for it all over the all over the place. There's just so many data points we get overwhelmed by them. Um, but if we use that overwhelming to basically numb ourselves from it without trying to be aware and trying to put it understand it, we do ourselves a disservice. And I think that that we're in that stage now where we can apply the the teachings to the seven churches to our own life, and that's where um, we can expect the unexpected to happen. That's true. Well, I have to say, um, one of the reasons why I do this show is I try to bring different perspectives. I don't just have, you know, people that have the same views as I do come on here. Um, there's things that I can compromise on, and there's some things that, you know, I just, I, I hold dear and, and, um, uh, but that doesn't mean I don't have a soft heart. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the problems is, is a lot of people, they, they do harden their hearts and they're not willing to listen. So we, we have to have a platform where we can sit down and actually talk. Yeah. And another thing God tells us is we have to get our own houses right before we can go out and talk to other people. And I, I tell you what is it's opened my eyes to a lot of things that make me think. Um, some things I need to work on, I know, but uh, I think that's true of all of us. And yeah. I'm, I'm aware every day of where I, I'm failing. And um, yeah, I it's taken me decades to get to where I am today. So for me to think that I can somehow be better by next week is a little bit <laughs> delusional. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but it, it's an ongoing process, and I think it's it's more about the process of getting up every day. And um, Jesus gave us a great example. He said, "There's the guy that stands up at the altar and says, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like those other people.' 
Uh, and then the, the other guy, he says, he points to the other guy who's sitting in the corner, who's too timid to even raise his eyes to heaven, beating his chest, saying, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And he said, yep. that man went away justified rather than the first. That's right. And every time we get to the situation where we think, thank God I'm not like the other people, we are in danger of not being the second man of saying, well, I should be looking more at why I'm not what I should be to begin with. And even if I'm better than somebody else, that doesn't mean I'm where I'm, that's who I'm, God wants me to be and where I'm, I'm supposed to be. And that's the, that's the place that we need to constantly push ourselves to be in. Yeah. It's not a comparison to ourselves, to each other that Christ calls us to. He said, I call you to basically be obedient to my word. I am that's the right. word. I'm calling you to pick up your cross, to love your God more than you love your country or your, your citizen or even your own you yep. know, life. And I'm calling you to love your neighbor, all your neighbors, every color, every every blend, every creed, everyone to love them as you would want to be loved. And that means compassion. That means understanding. That means loving people that believe and think differently than you do and not letting mm -hmm. Those, those barriers, taking down those barriers in order to, uh, if Christ died for everyone, then and yep. we're not willing to basically take down the same barriers, we're not picking up our cross. Right. That's where right. I think the real, that's where I think that um, our tribalism has gotten um, worse in some ways over the last, over the, over the decades and over the centuries. And I think that um, certainly the media, um, reinforces on all sides all media reinforces those barriers and those walls and that's why i think that it's important to see them as such and have multiple different forms to under to better understand um where that that where that that central you know we, we need to have news it's, it's good to be informed about what's really going on it's bad to be informed of people's opinions about what's going on and we, we need to be able to get enough news from enough sources to separate the fact from the opinion. And the the opinions are just something with, that other people own. That's going to be their problem at the end of the day. I have to form my own opinion about the things on the left that I think are wrong and the things on the right that I think are wrong. And, yeah. um, and, and then focus more on not making either one of them correct because they never will be. Focus more on how do I change? How do I, you know, what is it that I'm supposed to be working on? If I'm in the corner beating my chest, afraid to look up to heaven, what is it within me that needs to improve? And if I fail today in improving it, and I, I, I can get up tomorrow. And if I fail tomorrow improving it, I can get up the next day and keep trying again. It doesn't matter. It's not about reaching perfection. It's about um, walking that path. Yeah, that's right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and and uh, it, it's it's been very extensive, but uh, you know, we this was a great conversation. Thank you, thank you. And as I said, I, I'm hoping it'll help people to open their eyes and think about it. My purpose is not to convince them what to believe, but the, but to basically open their open their eyes and really accept where the time we live in, and to really use that as a catalyst uh, to to search our own life. And I also like to thank all of you out there if you are new to the channel. Well, I thank you for, for watching all the way through, and I hope you'll come back. 
please hit that subscribe button for my regulars. I appreciate y'all because you make it possible for me to do this. So until the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network. 